Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's word, fellowship, and prayer. Good morning. Good to see everyone. Um, it is exciting to have the Chiefs in the playoffs again, right? And to be playing for the AFC Championship is a cool thing. Thank God the game is late in the day, so you had time to be here. It's a good thing. We are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning, so go ahead and turn there. Um... So I've been in ministry a long time, and, and uh, I've, been, I've been pastoring for quite a while now. I don't even have an idea. I'm not sure. Ten years, I think, maybe? Close to that. Yeah, yeah. Not this ministry, but in general. I've been at it a minute. And it's interesting. You see, you, you learn a lot about people, working with people daily, you know, uh, counseling people and observing people and and. And uh, so, you know, one of the things that I've learned, especially in working in college and young adult ministry, is that people have a lot of different motivations for coming and being a part of this ministry. And, and I'm so thankful that, that this is such a hospitable group of people, you know, um, that, that things like the welcome party, people feel welcome. We call it the welcome party. We want to make people feel welcome. And I think that that kind of idea permeates everything we do. And so as a church, as Midtown Baptist Temple and as a ministry, uh, I've, I've observed over the years that we are, we are very kind and, and inviting and, and, hey, will you come sit with me type of people. Hey, do, hey what's your name type of people. Uh, and, and I think people really like that. I think that people like that. I think people like people to be kind to them. And I think it's interesting because I think what we're doing here stands in such stark contrast to the world. You know, you get out in the streets and you get out and you live life and you engage with people and people, uh, they fake it, right? And they kind of front and people aren't, uh, they aren't as kind out there, you know, especially fast food restaurants. <laughs> people are so mean. You can wait in a, in a drive through line for 20 minutes, and when you get to the window, they treat you like garbage, like you're not paying for the meal. It's incredible. But people just aren't super friendly, and so when you come to a place that is particularly friendly, I think people are really drawn to that, and, and, and they enjoy it, and, and they appreciate it. But what I've come to recognize is that oftentimes people attend, attend Kaya, and they come back because they like the friendships, and forgive me for being maybe blunt or a little bit crude, but they like, to, they like to come to a place that's warm and there's coffee and there's donuts and, and, and people are going to be nice to them. And they can come and they can hear the Jesus music and they can get kind of energized and they like it. And then uh, I, I, people, can, people can keep coming to church for a long time on that kind of energy. And they come, and they come, and they come, and they come week after week. They might show up to your Bible study, and, and they only engage at a peripheral level. Because the, the honest issue, and I, and I want to be frank, is I think the honest issue for a lot of people is that they like the residual benefits of being a part of a Christian community, but they don't necessarily want to make the investment to make that community richer. And I, and I see this a lot. I see it a lot, and uh, so many people, they stay on the edges of ministry in order to, to gain the benefits, but they never come into the center of God's work, and they fail to activate the, their gifting. You know, last, last week, we talked about spiritual gifts and how God has outfit each and every one of us individually to serve into the work, but, but so many people want to play at Christian. And they want to gain the benefits of calling themselves Christian. 
But very few people are willing to count the cost of what it looks like to engage and to spend their capacity, spend their resources ministering the way that Christ did. So what, what, if, what if we embraced who God made us to be and applied ourselves in the context that he has provided for us, being this local church? What if we could dis- discover where we belong? I think people want to belong, don't they? I think most of us could say that there's been times, maybe even right now in your life, where you say, I just want to belong to something bigger than myself. But what if, what if you could discover that belonging? And what if we chose to serve at the same level that we've been served? We don't often think about that very much, do we? Right? We really appreciate and glean a lot from the way that people serve us. We smile. We say thank you. But what would happen? What would happen if we, if we took the time to acknowledge how much has been invested in us and we invest that back into other people. So what we're going to look at today is um, this idea of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. And we're going to ask ourselves a couple questions. The first one is this. It's a very straightforward question. Is this my church? Is this, meaning Midtown Baptist Temple, right? Is, Is this my church? And if so, do I live like it? Do I live like it's my church? Do I function like it's my church? Do I behave like it's my church? Do I engage like it belongs to me? Let's pray, and then we're going to get into, we're going to get into the remainder of this chapter, and, um, and we're going to trust that the Lord's going to speak. So are we, are we awake? Yes. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you for this time. <clears throat> thank you for the opportunity to open your word. Lord, thank you that, that your word is constantly challenging us to get as much out of this Christian experience as we possibly can. Your spirit is always kind of just kindling at our hearts, stoking the fire, uh, asking us to go deeper, to trust you for more. And, and I do believe that this is going to be another one of those sermons where, where we're asked to go deeper. <clears throat> and so, Lord, I pray that you would superintend the hearts and the minds of the people in this room that you would look out on your children and you would, uh, in your love for them, your care for them, would you guide them uh, into a deeper and deeper responsibility for the work of the ministry? Would you call them to, to, to discipleship? Would you call them to accountability? Would you call them to the work of the ministry? We ask this in the power and the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. And amen. The drums are shaking with the power of my voice. <laughs> There's a, there's a rattle. Thanks, Dylan. You're the man. Um, okay, so we're going to read verse 12. Are we ready? This is the read-along time. Read along. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. This is speaking of unity in Jesus, Right? For by one spirit are we all baptized, that's speaking of salvation, into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, so regardless of what background we're coming from, whether we be bond or free, whatever class that we're a part of, and have been, been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. And if, if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow a more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness, for our comely parts have no need. 
But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Okay, so let's, let's talk about this idea of many being made one, okay? Let's start here with this doctrinal idea. In verse 12 it says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that, body, of that one body being ma- many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether be, we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So immediately here, we understand that Paul's using the human body as an illustration of a spiritual reality within the church. Everybody understands that? Okay, there's a lot being said here. But we have to start there. We have to begin with the idea that Paul is going to use the physical human body as an illustration to us of what the spiritual body, God's church, should be like. And we know from God's word that collectively, as Christians, we are a body submitted to a headship, an authority structure that begins with Jesus. Jesus is the boss, okay? I have to tell my kids that all the time. Who's the boss? And then they, their lip quivers. And they say, Dad, Dad you're the boss. Like, I am the boss of this house. Jesus said that I'm the boss of this house. <laughs> Eloise. <laughs> so Colossians chapter 1 tells us this. And he, being Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He rules over the body. It's his, it's his prerogative, right? That was, that's what he was destined for. That's what he's gained. That's what he deserves. It's a doctrinal fact that each person that is saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ is a unique individual and has a unique calling and gifting. But each believer is a part of a larger corporate body. And we often refer to this as the universal church, okay? <clears throat> now, that's not an institution. That's not an organization. That's a fact of history, right? That's a reality of the fact that throughout history that God has drawn people to himself and made himself a family. He's made himself a family of, of the people, generation after generation, ethnicities and nationalities that span the, the whole of the planet over time. And we call this God's kingdom. We call this his body. We call this the church. And, and that's a really important thing to understand is that, that, that we are a part of something way, way bigger than this moment right now. But the New Testament, it's really clear that simply being a part of this abstract universal church is not sufficient. It's not good enough. Right? Uh, there's, no, there's, there's nothing to grab hold of there. Right? It's, it's meaningful. It's powerful. It's, it's, it's amazing to consider that we are a part of a, a larger work that God's been doing over millennia and that one day we will all come together and we will all be together in one body as the universal church. That's an amazing thought. But the New Testament is very clear that God wants to, to, to express his perfect work in local churches all over the world. That's what he wants to do. This is, how he, this is how he most clearly expresses himself in what we refer to as the church age. is through local communities, local assemblies, all over, representing Jesus, living together according to his word. Make sense? So here's our first key point. It's this. Our Christianity is both personal and communal. <clears throat> okay? Now, we, we often want to just pick one of those things. Right? We want it to be, we want our Christianity to be very personal, to the rejection and to the neglect of the communal aspect of our faith. And so, you know, we, we kind of hide away and we make our Christianity very much about us and Jesus and our, our intimacy together and our my friendship with God and 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 but then we we fail to engage. 
Or some of us, the, the truth is we come to church and we engage in communal life and it's the only place we ever express our Christianity. And we don't have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And you're coming here and you're apart, but you're not really engaging with Christ. Right? Well, what we need is both. We need our Christianity to both be both very personal and intimate, but we also need it to be communal and engaged and work as a team. As a team. That's how God intended it. So why is it important for Paul to remind the church of this? Okay, so imagine for a second, you're the church in Corinth. You just got this letter. You're reading through it. There's been a lot of difficult things so far that you've read, okay? <clears throat> and he's writing to them. Clearly, they understand that the local church is important, right? They are a local church. It's like right now, you're like, well, we're here because we believe in the local church. Why are you, why are you preaching this? Because here's the deal. Paul knows, and I know, and you know, that we're all prone to separatist tendencies, we are all prone to wander. We are all prone to exercise autonomy. Right? This is America. And in America, we love our independence. Right? We love it. We love it. And uh, we, like, we like to kind of do our own thing, go our own way. We like to ramble. I feel like I should sing like a Western country Western song right here. <clears throat> like to drive tractors. <laughs> lope. Lope. They go loping. This is a cowboy term, loping. I think it just means just wander around. To lope about on our horses. No, you know how it is. In America, we, we, we like to be free. We don't want people telling us what to do. And sometimes, I think if we have the wrong perspective of church, it feels like people telling us what to do. We don't like it, okay? But, but it's that tendency that causes us to, to never actually get the full experience of our faith that God wants for us, right? So let's, let's paint a few pictures. Let's try to make this as practical as possible. I'm going to give you some examples, right? Perhaps in, in Christianity... It manifests itself through some sort of offense, easily offended, being easily offended. Someone or something bothers you at church, and instead of working through it, you choose to just simply walk away. Oh, there's other churches. There's like one right down the block, in fact. You can just walk there right now. I don't need these people, right? We get offended. We allow ourselves to get offended. And then we use that. I mean, this is how it works everywhere, right? This is an easy divorce society that we live in, isn't it? You just simply end something and go try to find something better. It's America. You can do that. But, but the thing is, it doesn't work that way in the, in the church. It can't work that way in the church. Perhaps it comes when church shopping, church shopping, unfortunate term that exists, and instead of joining yourself to a church because of doctrine or the opportunity to serve there, you're more concerned with the style of the music or cultural elements or your, your personal preferences. And this is all very privileged behavior. This is very, this is very autonomous, American, independent behavior, church shopping, right? Never intending to buy. Just doing a little shopping. And you just always find a reason why that church is just not good enough for you, right? And what you had in your mind, perhaps, perhaps we're a part of a church, but just decide, you know, from time to time that we need our space. And so we make excuses not to come together, not to go to Bible study, not to attend church, not to be involved. And we paint little white lines around ourselves uh, that no one is supposed to cross. You know, this, this type of thinking, it can, it can uh, express itself, it can manifest itself in many different ways. But we're all, we're all prone to it, which is why Paul writes about it, is that we're all prone to function as individual members, but not as the body. I think he uses, if I remember correctly, he uses the word body eight or nine times in this portion of Scripture. 
because he's emphasizing something. Look, it's hard to be committed to a community. No doubt about it. It's difficult to persist through interpersonal hardships. It's hard to do, right? I mean, after all, at your job, if you don't like the people, you just start applying somewhere else, right? You don't like the gig, you just start looking for a new one. But when we're talking about family, it doesn't work that way. And the body of Christ does not work that way. It's hard, I get it, it's hard, it's challenging. It's challenging to die to your wants, to your preferences, It's difficult to put other people over yourself. It's hard to do. But this is the reality of being a part of a body. And the thing is, at the end of the day, you have to acknowledge the fact that submitting your gifts to the body ultimately is very, very rich and rewarding. It's very rich, it's very hard, it's very rich, it's very rewarding. Being a cowboy Christian might satisfy your flesh, but it will never satisfy your truer purposes in life. Never will. So let's get perspective on that purpose. Here's our key point. We are gifted to play a unique role. You are unique, and you have a unique role. We are gifted to play that role on a team of uniquely gifted people. We are all uniquely gifted, right? This wasn't like some sort of like sports draft where there's like a first round, second round, and third round, right? I mean, if that was the case, I guarantee I'm like a fourth or fifth round draft pick. That's not how it works. We are all uniquely gifted. We are like a bunch of puzzle pieces that have yet to be actualized in terms of where we fit. Does anybody else do puzzles like on Christmas or Thanksgiving with their family? Anybody else one of those really white families? Am I wrong? Okay. You guys doing? Oh, Puerto Rican. They into puzzles? Just your grandpa. A globe puzzle? That's way out of my league. Okay, well then, hey, puzzles are for all people. So, You know, we are those people that are, are looking for, for, to be actualized. The Spirit might move us and fit us to where we belong. And, and here's the deal. I want to be honest with you. If it's not this local church, right, no one's disappointed in that. You need to find a local church to join yourself to, to find your place, to find your fit, that God might use you. Now, there's two different ways of doing this or approaching this, this fitting yourself to a body. There's a humble way. There's a humble way of doing that. And that, that humble way of approaching a local church would be like this. Where can I serve? Where can I fit? Like in this moment, where do I fit? Is there a space for me on the hospitality team? Is there a space for me in children's ministry? Is there some way that I can, I can help on a Sunday morning in Kaya? Can, can I stick around and pick up the chairs? And, and it can look really simple in the beginning. Really simple. All you have to do is say to yourself in a very humble way, where is it that I fit here? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fit myself. I'm going to join myself. And then you just very easily find yourself in the stream of body life. But there's also a proud way. There's a proud way of looking at this. And, and one, ways, uh, one of the proud ways this looks is for you to say to yourself, this church is so lucky to have me. Here's what I want to do. This is what I expect. You, I, you know, you guys don't see all this stuff, but as a pastor, it's amazing how many first-time visitors come to me and say, hey, I really like what you've got going on here. Um, I've got this phenomenal testimony that I'd love to share with the college and young adult ministry. So if maybe we could arrange an opportunity for me to share with you, to propose my idea, and then you can give me the mic I'm not like making that up. This is like, this happens 
seven or eight times a year. <clears throat> because people have pride. You've got it too. It might manifest itself differently. It, maybe it doesn't look like, so I couldn't help but think about this example. Because we were watching the Lakers game last night. So I was, LeBron was on my mind. ruminating you guys I don't know if you guys remember this but 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 this was the moment that I, I started hating LeBron James this is not Christian of me okay I, I recognize it this is not Christian this in my flesh this is in my flesh was the decision you guys remember the decision LeBron James he 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 goes on ESPN they advertise it for like a week and he's get like it's a press conference and his very words were, we've decided to take my talents to Miami. Okay? Now, most of the people in the room are like, I don't even care. What's his point? <laughs> my, my, here's my point. My point is uh, that they lost more times than they won. And that the Miami sucked with LeBron there. No, that's not my point. That's not actually the point. No, the, the, the point is, is this. The point is this, is that, is that that's one way of approaching life, is that kind of pride where it's like, I'm extra special. Everybody should be excited about me doing this thing. Now, everybody watch what I do. But here's the deal. There's also a more subtle and more prominent form of pride, and it looks like this. I'm not good enough, and I don't fit in, and I'm here, and nobody wants me. This is also a form of pride. And in many ways, it's a much more divisive and subtle form of pride because it looks like humility. But it's not. It's not. It's pride. I don't see myself at all as all that unique or capable of being a part, and so I won't be a part. I don't see how I fit on this team, and so I'll just kind of stay back here. I'll linger in the background, and I will continue to gain the benefits of being present but not being engaged. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying? This is a common form of pride. But here's the deal. We, you know, it, it's difficult to find where you fit, but all those details those, those are details that God's big enough to work out and to find a place where you belong. But here's the deal. You can't, you, the one thing you can't afford to do is begin to resent the way that he's gifted you. This is the one thing you can't afford to do is to resent the way in which God made you and gifted you. Because if you resent his gifting, you will resist the serving. You will resist the work. If you resent his gifting, you will resist the work. Verse 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? So the illustration supposes an absurd scenario, right? In which a human foot resents not being the hand, okay? So if your foot could talk, it might say, I would prefer to be the hand. You know, I don't like, it's stuffy in the shoe, it's stinky down here, the hands get to do all the work, okay? Or the ear is vexed because they aren't privileged enough to be the eye, right? The eye gets to do all the seeing, you know, it's absurd, it's silly. Paul's being silly here. But his point is <clears throat> that you don't have time. Here's the deal. You don't have time to resent who God made you to be. If you are busy functioning the way God made you to function, who's got time to think about all the other stuff? An ear should be so busy with hearing that it doesn't have time to be concerned with what the eye is doing. What if I discover, what if I discover in ministry people who bemoan their station in the body of Christ? What, 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 if, what if I look around and I see that people are bemoaning what God's made them to be? 
What do you think that I imagine for a moment? What do you think? When I see that happening, when I see someone grumpy because they don't get this or that, I have to, th- I have to think to myself, this person needs something to do. <laughs> who can afford, who can afford to be that disappointed in who God made them to be? There is so much to do. There's a whole world to win. There is so much work. We will never ourselves be able to get it done. Who can afford to sit around and complain about the fact that they don't get to do this or that? That they don't have the role or responsibility that they were hoping for? And when they do that, this is what I think. This person is withholding their gifts from us because they're too busy coveting someone else's. They're withholding what God's given them to be. They're keeping the body from the gifts, the precious gifts that God's bestowed upon them because they're too busy being sad that they don't get to do this or that. Coveting after something that you weren't given has the potential to distort and distract from the body's true purpose. Now Paul begins to expand on this by suggesting that there is value in the diversity of gifts within the church. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? That's a good question. If the whole, if the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Isn't that a fair question? I mean, that's the logical next conclusion, right? That's the thing that you'd want to ask, is if the whole body was gifted with sight only, then wouldn't it just be one giant eyeball? That's disgusting. I've had, I've had nightmares like that. And if the body was just one giant eye, then it would be incapable of thought, of taste, of hearing, such incredible and precious things. If the whole, if the whole body were only gifted for hearing, wouldn't it just be one giant ear, which might be more disgusting? Because ears are just gnarled pieces of cartilage on the side of your head. Have you ever thought about that? It's like someone took a piece of tissue and just crumpled it and then shoved it on the side of your head. It's so bizarre. You've never thought about it, have you? All those times we made you draw thousands of ears in art class? You thought about it. Like, this is just gross. <laughs> but if, if, if the whole body was a giant ear, it would be incapable of touch. It would be incapable of movement, smell. Excellent. <laughs> I love it, brother. That means like getting a commentary on First Corinthians while I'm preaching. He's like, this is, whatever is going on in here is so bad that it requires me getting a commentary on the commentary. <laughs> You're good, dude. Okay, so... Here, here, this, is, this is important for us to understand. When we covet the gifts and roles of other people, we become fractious and apathetic. And we deny the harmony of God's design. We deny it. We're denying the precision of God's hand. Verse 18, but now hath God set the members. He set them. He did it. He set the members, every one of them, in the body. As it hath pleased him to his very pleasure and if they were all one member, where were the body? See, God has set the members together with intent according to his good pleasure. God has set the members. He's fitly joined them for the work. So key point. This was a long one. Okay, you ready? You ready to write? Every local church is most effective and efficient. I think both of those things are important. 
okay? The local church is most effective and most efficient when each member appreciates God's workmanship. And they can look around and they say, I fit this way and they fit this way and isn't it wonderful what he's doing? And I, and I say effective because when we all think that way, then we'll own our responsibility. And I say efficient because when we all own our responsibility, then the mechanisms that the church is intended to provide will do that the way that it should. Nothing will hang it up. Nothing will get it caught up. Ephesians 4.16 says, From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That verse proves what I'm saying. We must not despise God's divine hand. We must find pleasure in what he finds pleasure in. If he says it's good, it's good. And he is pleased when we embody our need for one another in unity in the work, when we are fitly joined. Verse 20, but now are they, mem uh, they many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See, we need each other. We rely on each other. What good is just a hand out there flopping around? And here's the deal. It won't survive. Right? Any member of the body, any part of the body detached from the whole, detached from the nervous system, attached, attached from the, what's the blood system called? Vascular system. Okay? Any hand absent a mind and a beating heart is no good. It'll shrivel up and it will die, which is what happens to the faith of those who separate themselves from the local church. It is the inevitable demise of every person who says that they do not need organized religion. I got my own faith. Do my own form of Christianity. Different than they did it for the first 2,000 years. It's better. They end up dead. They end up useless. You don't discover a better way out there. God's word provides you with the way. We need each other. We must rely on each other. And you know, I wonder if we understand this. Like if we were to just look, take a moment to look around the room and consider the other people in the room, would we say to ourselves, I need these people. I need these people. Like I can't, I can't, I don't want to do life without them. I can't, I can't do life without them. Okay, so then you acknowledge that, but here's the question is, do you behave that way? Do you behave as though you need one another? Or do you only need these people when it's convenient for you? When it's, when it's easy is when you want and need them. See, that's no good. We need each other all the time, even in the hard times. So let's discover God's perspective. Verse 20. But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body, which seem to be more feeble, weak, are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more honor, more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the, the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. <clears throat> so what we learn is that from our fleshly perspective, some of the gifts and the roles in ministry that we see appear to be better than other ones, right? There's, and, and we think about church life, and we think about engaging in, in, in church, 
we look at certain roles and responsibilities and giftings and we say to ourselves, well, that one is better. And so that is the one I want to attain to. And so we, we, we strive and we work towards those fleshly ends, but that's not the way God did it. That's not the way God set things up. It appears as though certain things are more honorable, but they're not. Let's get God's perspective. You know, this is true in our own body too. There are some body parts that don't get much attention. Okay? Seth's beautiful blue eyes, they get all the attention. That hair's getting a lot of attention, in fact. Yeah. But other parts, they don't get so much attention. Some body parts, not any of Seth's, but some body parts are just plain ugly. They're ugly, and we hide them away. Now, in our temporal economy, we would assume this makes them less important because they're hidden. Okay? But the truth is, my brain's pretty darn important, and it's hidden away. No one even assumes that I have one. <laughs> you know, the, there isn't a part of the body that is any uglier than the human heart. It's hideous to look upon, which is why we had to invent our own heart. <laughs> one that was much more favorable to look upon. That's what I imagine is in there, like a Care Bear, just tucked inside. <laughs> I mean, brains are pretty weird, and they're pretty ugly, and they're creepy, but hearts, hearts are uh, like a bloody, intertwined grouping of like vessels and pulsating valves. It's gross. Veiny, the, the so it's the, they're completely vile, and yet they're the most vital part of our body. They're terrible to look upon, and yet they keep everything working. See, what if we saw things from God's perspective? What if we said that there is no greater value in being a teacher? or a teaching elder in our church than there is working in the, in the nursery? What if we said that? What if we said that being on the security team or a member on the hospitality team was every bit as important as being a pastor? Because that's the way, that's the way God sees it. Now, in function, it's different, Right? Like we've talked about this before, it's like there's equality and there's equity, right? And so there's equality among all of us, but then the positions have to look different, right? God's made diversity in the body, so when they, they function and they actualize themselves, they look different. I sadly have to have this thing attached to my face every Sunday. This is part of the manifestation of being a preacher, apparently, is to look like a background singer for Britney Spears. <laughs> This is, part, this is part of the burden that I own. And I want to be honest with you. I never asked for this position. I certainly didn't ask for this mic. But I didn't ask for the position. Either. There was no, no point when I met Eva, she said, the one thing I don't want to be married to is a pastor. And I said, check, I won't ever be that. I won't ever be that. Right? Because she's seen in her own family that to be a pastor was a lot of work, it was difficult, and she was just like, you know, I'd rather not involve myself in that. I love God, I love the church, but I just don't want to be married to a pastor, that sounds hard. And I was like, okay, I don't want to be that. I don't like being in front of people, okay? And I think pastors have to do that, okay? Fast forward 17 years, this is where I find myself. This position is not any more important than high school teacher Brandon. <clears throat> In fact, I kind of miss high school teacher Brandon. But I love what God's doing in me. 
Like, I love that I get to do this. I never would have asked for it. I don't want to be in front of people. I don't really like it. But, man, God's good. Can we all learn to embrace who God's making us to be? How he's, how he's gifting us and the roles and the responsibilities that he's giving us. And can we not be excited about whatever the next phase of our development is? Like whatever God's doing and molding us into, can we not embrace that? Because his precision is good and it pleases him. And he's setting you like a, like a stone in a wall like a body part to, to, a, to a body. He's setting you in place and he's calling it good. And when you believe that God has gifted you and he's fit people together, then you can honestly say that no one person's value is any less or more than another's. And so here's the next key point. <clears throat> Grace and honor are bestowed, but usefulness is a decision. Whoops. Lisa does that, right? She bend it out of the way. Grace and honor are bestowed. Who bestows them? Who bestows those things? Who gives you? Who gives to you grace and honor? I mean, we just talked about all the parts being honorable to God. Who bestows grace and honor? Okay. But who decides how to make that grace and that honor useful? You. You, the member, the individual, that autonomous part. You get to decide how intertwined you are with the whole of the body. You get to decide how useful you're going to be. That's critical. Have you decided to make yourself useful? Now, look, look at what this perspective does for us. Okay, verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body. No schism or, or, or division. And, you know, here's the deal. Some of us want a, a solution to, to our people problems, people problems in life, people problems in the church. Well, then many of us just need to begin by choosing to see God's honor and grace on other people the way we see it on ourselves. See, his perspective produces unity. You're not the only special one. They're special too. Right? And so when I see things in those terms then I'm less likely to cause division or be frustrated or be disappointed in other people or to hold them to unfair standards or to push them away or to oppose them or isolate myself from them or be mean to them or speak, speak cruel to them. I am more likely to embrace them knowing that we are all weak, but God has called us all honorable. And I can see things the right way. And then now suddenly, what could have been a schism is now unified and is now harmonious. Not only that, not only do we prevent division this way, but we build unity and we build empathy towards one another. But that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Okay, I'm going to speak honestly again. There are some of us that when God blesses someone in ministry or in life, we, we are frustrated about that. We get, we get jealous like Cain. When God blesses something, we get, we get angry and instead of rejoicing with that person because of the blessing, because they had an opportunity to lead someone to Christ or, or they, you know, there's been favor on them in their workplace and they're, they're having all of these awesome opportunities or whatever it might be, whatever it is, sometimes in our twisted fleshy mind, <clears throat> we get angry at other people for God blessing them. That's so jacked. That's so jacked. You know why we think that way? Because we're not fitly joined. We're not fitly joined to the body. See, here's the key point. Then we need to get this. Unity produces care, and care produces unity. Pretty simple. 
unity, it produces care for one another. When you're unified with the body, suddenly you care about their stuff. You see it, you acknowledge it, you try to understand it, you ask questions about it, you're curious, your heart is toward it, you pray for them, suddenly you're involved, suddenly you begin to care. Unity produces care. And then that care produces greater unity. It's like crack. <laughs> and you want more of it. And then you, you're, 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 the, the number of people that your life is intertwined with, it begins to expand. The circle gets bigger. You love it. You want to love more people. And you draw more people in and you start looking out there for other people who don't yet know Christ, who could be in that circle that you could care for, that you could nurture, oh, say, as a mother, as a father. Because you love it so much. And so, so unity produces care, but that care produces greater unity. Produces greater unity. So, so many, too many of us are too busy thinking about ourselves to di discover the joy of unity. Too many of us are more concerned with how we are perceived and respected to know the joy of rejoicing with a brother and sister in Christ when they are rejoicing. They're blessed and excited and they're celebrating what God's doing. And because we're so worried about per the perceptions on ourselves that we cannot engage with them and be a part of that celebration. Some of us are so busy loathing our personal circumstances to know the joy of weeping with a brother and sister in Christ who hurts. We're so busy being disappointed in our own stuff that we can't see that other people in the body are hurting and we have something to offer them in terms of our tears. It's, it's so, I can't, like, if you've never experienced this, let me, do, let me do my very dead level best to explain what this is like. There is nothing better in the Christian experience than to be living life and kind of thinking about yourself and your own stuff, but then suddenly come in contact with a person who's hurting, and you lay your, willingly lay your burdens aside and come alongside them and weep with them. Everything else diminishes. Everything else seems to just disappear. And it's as though everyone's acting like Christ. It's like, it's like the character of Christ is in that moment, and for a moment you get the opportunity to bless other peoples in a fraction of the way that Jesus Christ got to set his crown aside, to set his throne aside and enter into your reality to empathize with you and to die the death you deserved. You got to taste it in a fraction of a moment. There's nothing better than that in the entire Christian experience than to weep with people who are weeping and to rejoice with people who are rejoicing. It's wonderful. And so many of you don't get to experience it because you're too obsessed with your own thing. And you are robbing this body, you are robbing this local church of the blessing that is God's gifting in you. It's time for us to mature as a ministry. And declare that our God-given purpose can only be achieved by making unity work. And when this happens, then we will be able to celebrate the following truth. Verse 27 says, now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Is that what we want to be? The body of Christ? Individual members? Living in unity, Romans 12, 4 says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Here's the thing that I can, I can promise you, is that it's not easy. It's not, it's not easy being a part of, of church, 
because I mean, on one hand, there's the complication associated with knowing each other, being in each other's business, being vulnerable, the problems that arise, the ongoing teaching. The teaching's constantly abrasive and it's grinding against our self-will, right? The chipping away, the sharpening, it's not easy. Tough, 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 tough. And while that training's happening and while that growing is taking place and the difficulty of our lives changing and our character becoming more like Jesus, while all that's happening, the exact same time, there's a war going on outside those doors and we are called to go engage in it. And there's casualties every day. There's casualties every single day. The church is losing people to the darkness of the world every single day. There are people that are dying and going to hell every single day. And so while we're doing this hard work of growing and being sanctified and unified together, we're supposed to go out there and win the loss to, 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 the, to the Lord? Impossible. It's a freaking impossible thing to, to consider. Except that Jesus Christ said we could. He said we could. So what if we band together? What if we tighten our ranks? What if we lock arms? And we simply obey. What could we do? What could God use us to do? And so, there, you know, there's a lot of us probably that are just convicted about what our relationship with one another looks like and what it looks like to maybe ask for forgiveness of someone or to maybe just repurpose our hearts towards forbearance of people that maybe get on our nerves. Or I mean, the thing about growing as a ministry, we're going to have mature people and, and, and we're going to have weaker people, newer people, and, and it looks like so many different things, so many different people from different backgrounds, and it's just difficult. And so some of you, as mature believers, you need to learn to forbear. You need to let go of your expectations for other people. Just get over it, mature. Be, be mature and function maturely. And that's maybe what you need to process. But look, there's a lot of people in the room who just don't know the next steps of unifying themselves to this church. You say to yourself, yes, I do think this is my church. This is my church. Okay. Do you live like it? And if you say to yourself, well, not yet. But I'd like to. There's a few things that you can do. Very, very simple things, very biblical things. And the first thing is this, consider discipleship. Consider letting someone else, more mature than you in the faith, take the time to invest God's word and the simple truths, simple doctrines of God's word into your life to help mold things, to set a sure foundation so that you can build upon that. And we want to invite you to sign up for Casa Discipleship. We offer this regularly. When's the next class? Gee, look, you all know. February 11th. There's others of you that have been coming around, and maybe you are being discipled, or you've been discipled, but you are not a part of a Bible study. And so there's no accountability in your life. You don't have people speaking into your life. You're kind of floating out there. You're not connected. And so I want to say, commit yourself, draw yourself back in, be a part of accountability, get in God's word with other men or women, and learn to, uh, learn to be accountable to other people. That's the next step for you. But here's the deal. The one thing we can't afford to do is get in our cars and go do our thing today and not think about one another, not long for one another, not desire better for one another. Not be constantly praying and striving for better for one another. We belong to each other. God's made us that way. We are the body of Christ and members in particular. And we have to live like it. And so I want to invite the worship team up. David, if you want to come up. I'm going to pray. We're going to close. I want to invite you, whatever step you need to take. There are always counselors that kind of stand up here in the front. And I know no one ever wants to come to the front, right? Um, but, but let me just say, if you want, if you, how, ser how serious are you about this, right? Like if walking to the front and grabbing a hold of someone is what's standing in the way of you doing what's right, well then, like, I think anything can get in the way. 
probably. So if you need to come forward and grab a hold of a counselor, grab someone and go pray and talk through this, but a lot of us have decisions that we need to make. What does it look like for us to be more integrated into the body of Christ? Yeah? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this people. Lord, I love what you're doing. I'm so grateful for, I mean, every week there are new faces. There are people that I have to meet that I've, I've never met before. There's people that I meet that are like, yeah, I've been, I've, I've been in discipleship for like two months. And I've, it's the first time I've ever met them. And so what's happening, Lord, is you're showing me that the body works. Like you're showing me that I don't have to be involved in everything. That the body just does what you've called it to do. And when it's functioning rightly, Lord, we're seeing victory around every corner. That we, that we have so much to celebrate because, God, you are using your people to do your business. And I'm so grateful for that. And so, Lord, please continue to add to this church daily such as should be saved. If there are people in the room today, God, that don't know you as their Savior, they don't know Jesus Christ, they've never put their faith in him, Lord, I pray that they would come forward. I pray that they would, for the very first time, know what it means to lay their burdens down and to be forgiven and to be made whole. God, I, I pray that you would speak to those people even right now. Lord, I ask that if there is anybody that, that is, sees themselves as being on the outside, on the periphery, Lord, I pray you would draw them into the center and that they would find their place and they would find their work and they would know that they belong. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.